Franklin Fraudshark, Public Relations Specialist for the Sickness Health Group. At Sickness Health Group, we remain rooted in our foundational core values, ideals like integrity. We are dedicated to rhetorical, circuitous, and purely hypothetical standards of institutional integrity. We make honest financial commitments to the predator class, and we work to ruthlessly honor those commitments. We do not hesitate to compromise our ethics for the bottom line. We strive to deliver on our promises to billionaire hedge fund managers and weapons manufacturer CEOs. And finally, we have the courage to cover up mistakes and do whatever is needed to suppress public awareness of our fraud and evil doing. Compassion. We try to walk in the shoes of the meat suits and useful morons we target with our weaponized care. Our job is to hear you, see you, honor you, and then royally screw you. We celebrate our role in serving illness and disease to society in an effort to vitalize our quarterly earnings. We work tirelessly to engender a self-perception of weakness and chemical dependency amongst the people we have the privilege of energetically feasting upon. Relationships. We build synthetic trust through complex psychological operations, engaging in subtle neuro-linguistic reprogramming of malleable minds via direct-to-consumer advertising across all media platforms. We rhetorically encourage a variety of thoughts and perspectives and pay lip service to diversity while crafting message discipline amongst our stooges and viciously punishing dissidents and whistleblowers. We work closely with our compromised media stenographers to engage in scorched earth slander and reputational sabotage campaigns against any stray professionals or investigators who come too close to the truth. Innovation. We pursue a course of continuous, nefarious, and practical military-funded innovation, using our deep connections with DARPA and the Pentagon to invent a better, more controlled, and less chaotic future, where the servant class must require permission from an elite biomedical cartel before being allowed to exchange genetic material. And last but not least, performance. We are committed to deliver profits and high-yielding returns for our clients in the intelligence community, corrupt politicians, and banking industry demons. We hold ourselves accountable for consistently delivering high-quality and superior payolas to power brokers of all shapes and sizes. And we remain committed to bending laws and regulations to the will of our fiduciary overlords in order to guarantee ample lucre for unindicted Epstein co-conspirators. Thank you for investing in Sickness Health Group, keeping the peasants unwell to preserve the robust health of your financial portfolio. Thank you for investing in Sickness Health Group, keeping the peasants unwell to preserve the robust health of your financial portfolio. Sickness Health Group, the most disease for the highest cost. 
We have disdain for the bodies we drain. Sickness Health Group. Bum bum. What's up, beautiful people? Welcome to the Barbarian Noetics Podcast, where we are dedicated to the elevation of the human spirit and, as always, to resisting the status quo. This rather fucked status quo. What's good, everybody? Welcome back to the Barbarian Noetics Podcast. I am your loyal host, Conan Tanner. I cannot thank you enough for joining, for listening, for supporting the podcast. You make it all possible. Obviously, would be no podcast at all without an audience, so I really appreciate it. I appreciate all the people out there spreading the word and telling a friend, and I'm happy with the positive feedback I've been getting and uh, just feeling really good about stuff. Um, That said, it's also been a challenging week. Uh, I've just been kind of managing an ambient feeling of sadness all week and uh, probably many reasons many of which are mysterious obviously because we all have blind spots especially in our emotional apparatus but I feel that probably has something to do with just the collective consciousness the state of the world in the United States the drums of war are beating there's a lot of russophobia a lot of xenophobia a lot of misguided ideas a lot of you know, people mean well, and so it kind of breaks my heart to see people who mean well put their faith in uh, causes and entities that don't deserve their trust at all, and to see people get swayed by a certain narrative and manipulated. Um, it just makes me feel some kind of way, and so, you know, I've been dealing with that, and, uh, but that said, I also feel good. I feel optimistic about things. You know, the podcast is going in the right direction. I'm coming at you guys from a sunny, very beautiful Sunday, sunny Sunday here in South Phoenix. And just a couple clouds in the sky that the sky is that bright iridescent blue that happens in the Sonoran Desert spring. And I'm here recording this intro to my beloved listeners. So thank you so much. So this episode, we're going to get things off hot and heavy and deep AF. We're going to be reading from The Prophet by Khalil Gibran. I know I've read from this before, but I needed some Khalil Gibran up in my lifestyle today. So I turned to a random, well, I kind of scrolled to a random page and uh, it landed on, on buying and selling. And a merchant said, speak to us of buying and selling. And he answered and said, To you the earth yields her fruit, and you shall not want if you but know how to fill your hands. It is in exchanging the gifts of the earth that you shall find abundance and be satisfied. Yet unless the exchange be in love and kindly justice, it will but lead some to greed and others to hunger. When in the marketplace you toilers of the sea and fields and vineyards meet the weavers and potters and gatherers of spices, invoke then the master spirit of the earth to come into your midst and sanctify the scales and the reckoning that weighs value against value. 
And suffer not the barren-handed to take part in your transactions, who would sell their words for your labor. To such men you should say, Come with us to the field, or go with our brothers to the sea and cast your net. For the land and the sea shall be bountiful to you even as to us. And if there come the singers and the dancers and the flute players, buy of their gifts also. For they too are gatherers of fruit and frankincense, and that which they bring, though fashioned of dreams, is raiment and food for your soul. And before you leave the marketplace, see that no one has gone his way with empty hands. For the master spirit of the earth shall not sleep peacefully upon the wind till the needs of the least of you are satisfied. So beautiful. I'm going to read one more because I just, I need this up in, up in my consciousness right now. Let's see. Scrolling, scrolling. All right. This one is on teaching. Then said a teacher, speak to us of teaching. And he said, no man can reveal to you aught but that which already lies half asleep in the dawning of your own knowledge. The teacher who walks in the shadow of the temple among his followers gives not of his wisdom but rather of his faith and his lovingness. If he is indeed wise, he does not bid you enter the house of his wisdom, but rather leads you to the threshold of your own mind. The astronomer may speak to you of his understanding of space, but he cannot give you his understanding. The musician may sing to you of the rhythm which is in all space, but he cannot give you the ear which arrests the rhythm, nor the voice that echoes it. And he who is versed in the science of numbers can tell of the regions of weight and measure, but he cannot conduct you thither. For the vision of one man lends not it, its wings to another man. And even as each one of you stands alone in God's knowledge, so must each one of you be alone in his knowledge of God and in his understanding of the earth. Hot damn! Khalil Gibran drop, dropping bars over here. Let's do one more. Here we go. I'm good and evil. Nice light note here to start off the pod. And one of the elders of the city said, Speak to us of good and evil. And he answered, Of the good in you I can speak, but not of the evil. For you who are strong and swift, see that you do not limp before the lame, deeming it kindness. You are good in countless ways, and you are not evil when you are not good. You are only loitering and sluggard. Pity that the stags cannot teach swiftness to turtles. In your longing for your giant self lies your goodness, and that longing is in all of you. But in some of you that longing is a torrent rushing with might to the sea, carrying the secrets of the hillsides and the songs of the forest. And in others it is a flat stream that loses itself in angles and bends and lingers before it reaches the shore. But let not him who longs much say to him who longs little, Wherefore are you slow and halting? For the truly good ask not the naked, Where is your garment? Nor the houseless, Where has befallen your house? Boom! Can't think of a better way to start the podcast, so we're going to get right into it. And this uh, week is a bit of a hodgepodge episode. 
Um, I hopped on my voice memo, so you're gonna sense a slight change in the audio quality, but don't worry y'all, I upgraded. I had a whole phone drama, but it ended with I upgraded to an S10, and you know, it's certainly not hor horrific. It's not distractingly bad. I'm just giving you a heads up. There might be some little audio discrepancies but sometimes I'm just moved to do segments on the voice memo because it allows me to walk around as I, as I speak and think, which kind of helps me sometimes to get my thoughts rolling, especially when it's like a really sensitive or tender subject or a very mysterious subject. And I dive into mysterious subjects this week. So um, I just talk candidly and openly about you know some of my experience emotionally of the past week, uh, what's happening with the collective consciousness, and I delve into a, a greater question of uh, actually good versus evil, to be honest, darkness versus light, uh, what I call a spiritual altercation. So with that teaser, let's go ahead and get into this episode. I can really use your support to help stay on the air. Uh, the Barbarian Noetics podcast is completely listener supported, so you can help me afford groceries by hopping over to patreon.com noetics. You can sign up for as little as $1 a month or as much as $50 a month, and you earn different perks when you sign up and you gain access to bonus content. You could also make a small one-time donation at buymeacoffee.com noetics. And as always, just spreading the word and telling a friend is the most important thing you can do, so thank you for that. Uh, I really appreciate all the feedback. You can shoot me an email, barbarian.noetics at gmail.com. If you haven't done so already, please rate, review, and subscribe to the BMP wherever you listen to podcasts. And with that housekeeping out of the way, let's get into this episode. I'm sending you all gleaming bubbles of positive energy that are floating around the rabbit holes of space and time, like iridescent bubbles. And once popped, they, they release the potential energy, the creative energy of the source. So I send that to you. Thanks again for listening. Much love. dropping in really quick to give you all a heads up that I recorded this week's segments on my phone. Um, I did so because uh, in order some, for some topics and just sometimes where my head is at, it's hard for me to convey thoughts unless I'm kind of like up and moving around. And so using the voice memo function on my phone allows me to do that. And so it allows for a certain kind of content that this week was kind of more constellating around. So I just wanted to um, give you a heads up and let you know you will notice, you know, a slight difference in the audio, but it's certainly not distracting or anything like that. Just wanted you guys to know that, you know, 
I'm still over here in the home studio, but you know how it is. Old BMP heads know that sometimes I will, uh, I'll do segments on the go into my phone. Just a heads up. All right. Take care. Talk to you at the end. What's up, beloved listeners, BMP family, sending you guys good vibes through the rabbit holes of space and time coming at you in the, you know, the, the supposedly consensus reality time that we all agree upon in the, con- in the consensus reality time. It's Friday night. I'm done with my coffee week and I'm entering into my creativity week. <laughs> so um, I'm excited and I'm coming off a really nice meditation just now. So I would look, was looking forward to the meditation all day, came home, put away my groceries, rode the hape, sat down, meditated, and just had like a really, uh, it always kind of surprises me sometimes, like how profound the meditations go to where I was, I was sitting for the first while and then I wanted to lie down. <laughs> so then I moved to my bed and I lied down and but it wasn't like sleepy time. It was like very, very much conscious, awake, allowing my mind to visualize. And I went back through my past. A lot of times, a lot of stuff comes up like involuntarily from my past. Just so many different experiences. Like I feel like I've, I feel like I've lived like several lives. And I'm not saying that to be like, oh, I'm special, but I've just, I've had so many experiences. And um, I, I was taken back to my time on the big island of Hawaii when there was a lava, the lava was coming. <laughs> the lava flow was heading directly towards Pahoa, the small little town of Pahoa. And every day, the, the smoke, like where the head of the lava tongue would get closer every day. And uh, there was like meetings in the town hall, like where you'd have people from like, Hawaii USGS or whatever like show the map of like these are the these are where the lava might go and it's like right through the town and I worked at a natural food store like in the middle of the town and we would just watch this like smoke from <laughs> from the lava tongue get closer every day it's like this slow moving thing and a lot of people were leaving it really separated the wheat from the chaff because <laughs> a lot of people who were like, I didn't sign up for this shit. They, they just took off or went to Hilo or went to Kona or whatever. But uh, there was a lot of us that just we were like, fuck it, you know. And I had a, I had a generator ready to roll. I had a bow and arrow uh, ready to hunt. I had my nine milli ready to hunt. And I was like ready to, you know, live off wild pig if I had to. And um, the other thing about that experience is the smell. So it smelled like sulfur, like all the time. Not not sulfur, not sulfur. It was a smell like no other smell in the world. And I probably I won't smell it again unless I go to an active volcanic place, which I hope hope I will. I want to go to the active volcanoes in Central America, really bad. But yeah, it's it's. I just wish I could convey to you how like all po- overpowering the smell is. It's the smell of molten rock. <laughs> so if you can imagine that. And I, I was able to go, I know I've talked about this before, but I was able to go and see the lava up close and personal. You know, I got to within five feet of the lava and 
it was just in this forest and you just saw this like it was just devouring the forest i mean the power of this and the noise that's what i didn't expect was how loud it would be which makes sense because it's devouring a forest it's a river of molten rock eating <laughs> its way across the landscape and that shit is loud as fuck anyways i was taken back to that time and just all the many days you know the the district like emptied out and so I, I would always go on my bike rides. That was way before electric llama time, definitely aluminum llama all the way. And uh, I would go on these long extended bike rides, like pretty much all my free time, I would go on these long bike rides. Cause I mean, even at the time I was like, I'm, I'm living in paradise. I need to bike ride through paradise like as much as I possibly can, you know? Because like, I'm, otherwise I'm gonna look back on this and be like, dog why didn't you spend more time bike riding through this fucking paradise dude it's like ocean everywhere perfect weather i mean it did get rainy rainy and, and dark and windy and typhoons and hurricanes but when it wasn't that it was just like ridiculously perfect climate perfect weather the some of the cleanest air in the whole world was on that eastern side eastern corner of the big island of hawaii and just so many hours spent on my bike and I would during this time when everyone had emptied out it was just the National Guard the Hawaii National Guard and it was like the routine as I would like always see like the National Guard Humvee and they would like shaka to me <laughs> and I'd shaka back and it was like we're all just waiting to see what this lava does and um, anyways so it took me back to that and then what also happens a lot of times when I go back into my past involuntarily is I will go back to like when I wasn't at my best, you know, so it has to do with the alcohol addiction and just like even when I look at pictures of myself when I was really like bad into the alcohol, like I was all looked all inflamed, you know, because it's just so bad for your body, all that alcohol coursing through your veins all the time. It would creates all this inflammation and I just looked like red and bloated and it's just like fuck I mean I just think back on that and how it became like normalized to me but it was like so not normal at all like the quantity just the sheer quantity I mean a viking alcoholic is not a pretty sight it's just not it's nothing anyone wants to deal with you never because my blood is already like I'm so suited to alcoholism that I would never get sick I could just I could just drink pure alcohol, just pour it right down my gullet. I would never get sick, I would never throw up. So what would happen is the blood alcohol level would just keep getting higher and higher. And then even my consciousness would like flee my body. And then I would just be this like blackout zombie, like wandering around and I still wouldn't go down. It's like, that's maybe that's what the berserkers, the old Viking berserkers were just blackout drunks. <laughs> just unleashing, just giving, giving them a flail and an axe and be like, go fuck up these English people. And be like, all right, in their dead-eyed zombie way, hopefully they fuck up the English people and not their own people. <laughs> Anyways, that's neither here nor there. Um, really what I wanted to hop on the mic and talk about is that something that's been coming through really clearly in the meditation and you know, I don't want to 
I guess I've been shying away from talking about this because I don't want to seem like I'm being overly dramatic. I don't want to seem like I'm being like, you know, I don't know what the word is exactly. Um, uh, I don't want to like overstate this or, or, and I guess I don't want to like freak people out either, you know, so I'm, I'm saying this, it's just been coming through. And so I'm just going to share it with you guys. Basically, we are definitely in like some sort of spiritual battle, spiritual conflict. I don't really like the term war at all. So I don't really want to say we're in a spiritual war. And what came through in meditation is that we're in a spiritual altercation. (laughs) So I feel like we're in a spiritual altercation. And um, what do I mean by that? I mean the age-old battle of light versus dark, of good versus evil. And yes, it's all united in the grand scheme of things. It's all one thing in the soup, the primordial source, source of all things. Sure, it, 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 it all is tied together in the unified field. And I've spoken with a lot of like psychics and mediums and people who I really respect and you know, people who I really feel have a very, very deep spiritual connection and they pretty much say the same thing. They're like, well, you know, evil has to exist because there wouldn't be good without evil. And it's like, I understand that on a theoretical basis, but I also think we're in a spiritual altercation. And I think it's been going on for at least 10,000 years. I mean, probably forever, but on this planet, it's it seems to be kicking into high gear. And so... In an altercation, what what I've learned from my experience in altercations is the more you can kind of observe, the more you can learn about the, the foe, the adversary, the more you can observe about the adversary, especially without them necessarily knowing that you are observing, the better. And so it's good to be patient, it's good to be very cognizant and just aware you want to study your adversary. And so this brings us to the whole thing of like, okay, well, if we are in a spiritual altercation, then who or what exactly is our adversary? And it is true that the adversary does exist within us all, for sure. I think it would be silly and naive and absurd to to pretend like, you know, for me to stand here and be like, I'm a being of light and I don't contain any darkness I mean I just admitted to you guys about my blackout drunk days like I obviously (laughs) have the darkness in me you know and I think we all do but that so that that is it's we can learn about the adversary by studying the darkness within ourselves and so when I look at the darkness within myself it never wants to like be seen it's always trying to run away from the light it like scatters like I I use the analogy of like mice from the kitchen light when you turn on the kitchen light in the middle of the night and if there's mice and they're having a chow you drop some cheese and they're having a chow they're gonna scatter as soon as the light goes on and that's like the adversary the darkness within it scatters it doesn't want to be seen Uh, it's almost like that's like it's kryptonite is like conscious awareness is like it's kryptonite and so that just raises further questions like what the fuck is this (laughs) you know like and so what has been coming through for me in meditation is 
We can study the adversary if we look at places where war has been brought to, it's like places that were peaceful and then war was brought to them. And I wish that I, I mean, I, I don't necessarily wish that I like, but I do kind of, I wish that I had more eyewitness experience. You know what I mean? I wish that I could say that like, I, you know, like Chris Hedges, that he was actually a war correspondent and he would go to places and he would study that. And he talks about it coming face to face with like true evil and what that does to you. And um, so, but you know, so let's just look at the country of Syria, which right now, when you think when you say Syria, you immediately think of like war and conflict and struggle and civil war and strife. And it's like, but I remember, it seems like not very long ago at all that when you thought of Syria, you thought of like this really beautiful, vibrant culture and like Damascus was this amazing, vibrant city, very proud nation, super uh, amazing history, super rich textured culture. Seemed like it was like pretty like well off, like people had a pretty good standard of living. And so what has happened to Syria over the past, I guess, decade or whatever, um, you know, in, in the, the empire that we, that at least in the United States, if you live in the United States, you, you live in the empire, the belly of the beast, what the empire has visited upon Syria with our junior partners, our junior imperial partners in NATO and Canada and, and whatever, and how, you know, we've been, the, the empire has been keeping the war going by, you know, uh, just giving unlimited funds and weapons to the to the basically like the um, radical extremists that want to institute Sharia law in the whole country. And like I know like uh, what from what I've heard and studied and people I've listened to that I trust who have been to Syria, they say that like interestingly enough, the Syrian people like actually look at the Russians very favorably because the Russians intervened when it seemed like the Sharia law was actually going to be like instituted, like it was going to be straight up created into an Islamic state. Russia intervened to prevent that from happening. And so a lot of Syrians like are very grateful to Russia for that. So, you know, am I sitting here romanticizing Russia? Of course not, you know, of course not. But it's just like you have to look in, at, at look at things for what they are. Okay, so anyways... What is, so that brings us to the adversary. What is the adversary? And it's like, what, see, what happened in my visions, because again, I, thankfully I've not lived through like a full-blown war, you know? I've, I've had interpersonal conflicts that have felt like wars and I, you know, but I've not ever like lived in a, lived through a war. So, you know, I, I, I don't have that eyewitness experience and I'm not going to say like, oh, I wish I did, because like, how can I say that? You know, it seems like it would be really traumatic and awful. But what it's, if you look at it from the invisible realm, so this, this adversary, we're talking about spiritual altercation. So it's the invisible forces. And when you bring a whole group, a collective consciousness, when you bring that collective consciousness from a state of abundance and, you know, pretty good standard of living and people can get like an education and they can there's like the rule of law and they can go about their lives in relative safety 
even if they're vulnerable, the vulnerable are protected. You take a collective consciousness from that state and then you drag it down through the mud of, of war and conflict to where the vulnerable are no longer protected and you know they're kind of at the mercy of these forces that are, are you know for lack of a better term evil and I don't feel that I just don't think you can say that that is necessary. I just, I, I reject that, you know? I, it doesn't sit well with me. I just, it, I can't imagine just being like, yeah, well, you know, you need to have that evil because otherwise there wouldn't be light. It's like, mm, no, that we would still have, you would have a dichotomy of light and darkness without like systematic violence being wrought upon places, you know? by these really dark forces. You don't need that type of darkness to like learn about the dichotomy between good and evil. It's, that seems like, a, seems like absolving a little bit responsibility because you know, as much as this sucks, as a, like an American, I am kind of responsible for what the US does in my name. And that keeps me up at night, it drives me crazy. I, I really don't like it, but if I pretend like that's not the case, there's a reason why my soul incarnated into Chicago, Illinois, like one of the main engines of the empire, main economic engines of the empire, the main seat of the democratic machine politics that I was brought up to think was like, sort of like had our best interests at heart, but I've learned that they absolutely do not, <laughs> do not, that is part of the evil as far as I'm concerned. So. Why, why did my soul choose to incarnate, you know, in, in the Reagan years, like right during, during the fucking Reagan years, the Reagan 80s, when, you know, we were just funding and supporting some of the most heinous war crimes in Central America. You know, that's another example of the adversary. So anyways, I hope I'm not like rambling too much here, but I guess I'm just saying that I reject the idea that this is like somehow necessary. I, I feel I have too much faith in the human spirit and I reject the idea that humans are so fundamentally rotten that we can't learn about the full spectrum of our spiritual lives without, you know, without systematic war and violence. It's just, it's, it strikes me as utterly unnecessary and so thus very dark because unnecessary suffering strikes me as very dark. And so anyways, observing the adversary, I guess it's just important to realize if you're in an altercation, you need to kind of know that you're in an altercation. So the first thing is to be aware of it and then to study the adversary within yourself and you know, give it its due. I, I just feel like it's important to be like, you have to kind of, I don't want to say respect because I don't respect it but you have to like acknowledge it. You have to acknowledge the adversary to work against it. And then, so from a solutions point of view now, kind of switching lenses to like solution lens, certainly I don't have all the answers, you know, certainly I don't. <laughs> so I, I'm in it, I'm in the same boat as everyone else trying to figure out how to, how to battle, how to, um, resolve this altercation and defeat this adversary, somehow tame this darkness that is somehow running amok and causing all this suffering. And so I feel that 
like my conversation with Peter Champeau about the energetic lines of the earth and the power of the power of communing with the positive energy. So like, so, so I've been talking about the darkness, but there's also the light. There's the invisible forces of light, the invisible forces of goodness, of power. And these are complex forces too. Like these are not just like pushover, like turn the other cheek forces. These are very much forces that have, they can scrap, you know, like the all mother Tonantzin can scrap for sure. Uh, Pele, the volcano goddess, can certainly scrap. These are not like meek forces. However, they are like part, they, they stand against the adversary because they represent the natural order of things. And sure, nature is brutal. Absolutely, there's teeth and claws, there's predator and prey, but it is pure in a way because it's not, there is not this evil intent you know what I mean? Like when a when a lioness stalks her prey, she doesn't have evil intent. She's just being a lioness and she's feeding her family. And that's just kind of how the cookie crumbles for that incarnation that she happens to be a lioness and the gazelle happens to be a gazelle. And in order for the lioness to keep on existing and perpetuate her genetic code, she has to attack and devour the gazelle. But she eats the entire gazelle. She doesn't waste it. And so, you know, this is the power of like communing with, with the angelic forces of light, the angelic, the forces of nature, which I maintain are so much more powerful than these bullshit forces of darkness. I really feel that the volcano goddess, the molten core of the earth does not give a flying fuck about your 5G or your supersonic missiles or even your fucking nuclear warheads. You know, I'm sure that Pele is probably like, yo, cool it with the nuclear warheads, but at the same time, she's like, dog, I'm a molten core of fire. Like, I'm just, eventually, I'm going to just uh, consume it all, eat it all. Like, if, if you're going to want to make it radioactive, reduce the biodiversity on the membrane of the Earth, which would be a crime against existence, because as Peter Shempo says, the, in, a lot of the intelligence of the cell happens on the membrane. The membrane is where we have all the beautiful biodiversity of life, this amazing complexity. Like I was listening, I'm listening to an audible right now about, it's about other stuff, but it talks about the complexity of like microorganisms even in the ocean and how the more they study it, the more they realize that there's like billions and billions of little micro, like different types of microorganisms in like every liter of seawater. And that's why it's kind of absurd to like fear germs because like everything is, germs are life. Like we have two kilograms of, or we have, a kilogram worth of germs in our body that is like part of our human body, like all the, the fauna, the, you know, the, the bacteria and the little guys that <laughs> I feel like such a moron trying to describe this right now. Sorry, it's late. I haven't eaten dinner yet. Uh, you know what I'm saying, hopefully. So anyways, we can commune with these powers of light. We can commune with the powers of nature. And that gives real like calm. It gives real confidence and and calm and strength so that we can face the adversary the last thing you want to do is run away from the adversary i feel that you have to face the adversary and obviously that does start with like facing the adversary within yourself but i think it also starts to be like face the adversary in the world you know what i mean like you don't have to put up with shit if if you, 
you know, it, uh, people mistreating people, even people in your own life, if they're, if they're being abusive, manipulative, sucking your energy, you can stand up to that and be like, I reject that. I am aligned with the All-Mother Tonansen. I am aligned with the Volcano Goddess. Uh, I am a creature of this planet, and I'm a part of the natural order, and therefore I can kind of like control my own destiny in a way, and I can decide if I want to be symbiote, you know, I don't want to be a parasite and I don't want to be a part of your parasitic bullshit. I am a symbiote. I work in symbiosis with my environment. That's my power, source of my power. So I'm just, don't ever get overwhelmed by the, the immensity of the battle because it is an immense battle. It's been going on for at least 10,000 years. Uh, but our souls incarnated, we have eternal souls, immortal souls. Don't sell your soul. Just make sure that you, you know, Obviously, no one's perfect. You're going to make mistakes and all that stuff. But I'm saying, like, don't sell your soul. Don't be like, I'm just going to give up and become part of the machine. You know, don't be another brick in the wall. Like, resist. Humans are better than this. We don't need unnecessary suffering. We don't need to be part of a, um, an evil empire that brings systematic war and violence and suffering to places around the world for their own nefarious means. Like, fuck that. Uh, that's not me. I'm not going to be a part of it. You know, so I would rather die than be a slave. So like be free and honor that freedom. And I, I do feel that freedom is more important than even life itself because, because I believe that we have an eternal soul. And so I, I want my soul to stay free, you know, even if it comes at the cost of, of this incarnation or whatever, I want my soul to stay free. So I guess just be fearless and trust. And if you have time, and the impetus, just like take a moment to sit and commune with these forces of nature. You know, you're going to have different deities, different ideas that resonate more with you. You know what I mean? Like maybe it's Kali, maybe it's Jesus, you know, whatever it is, whatever resonates with you, go for it. And just resonate with that angelic force, the force of, of balance, of harmony, of justice, of beauty, of joy, and... I will be there with you, fighting side by side in the physical and the spiritual realms. And um, thank you for listening, and I love you guys. And by the way, you know, I sit on a stand, and it gets hot. I got a lot of, I got hairy legs that turn that 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 that, that turn uh, uh, blonde in the sun and the kids used to come up and reach in the pool and rub my leg down so it was straight and then watch the hair come back up again they look at it so i learned about roaches i learned about kids jumping on my lap and i've loved kids jumping on my lap circle key with tanks and you'll never gain the hearts and souls of the Iranian people. Those of the Iranian people. Put may circle key with tanks and you'll never gain the hearts and souls of the Iranian peoples 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 of the Iranian of the Iranian of the Iranian of the
Watch the hair come back up again. They look at it. So I learned about roaches. I learned about kids jumping on my lap. About kids jumping on my lap. About kids jumping on my lap. About kids jumping. About kids jumping. About kids jumping. About kids jumping. It'll never gain the hearts and souls of the Iranian people. circle Kiev with tanks, but it'll never gain the hearts and souls of the Iranian people. forgot about it uh so you might be asking like okay 
fine, study the adversary, commune with the forces of the natural order of, of, of biological evolution, commune with the all-mother Tonansen. Okay, what then? What I, what I think, it, why that is the remedy, why that's the antidote, at least for like what, you know, you have to do as much as you can in the situation that you're in, you know? So it's like, I'll just take myself for example, I am in the belly of the beast. Uh, I call uh, Phoenix Satan's nutsack. <laughs> so I'm in, I'm in the, the south end of Satan's nutsack. I can't do anything if I can't feed myself and if I can't keep a roof over my head, you know what I mean? So I have to do that shit. But I can also, by communing with these powers of, of light, powers of balance, powers of harmony, powers of the earth biological evolution what it does is it creates like a shine you start to shine and like i said studying the adversary the adversary does not cannot stand up to conscious awareness and intention you know the the, the darkness flees from the light that type of thing so by shining you make yourself into like a lighthouse sort of and so if you imagine if enough people start to do this, that creates a very strong collective consciousness. And that's how change happens. You know what I mean? That's how change happens. It's through the collective consciousness has to change, has to evolve to a certain degree to where people wake up to their own power and realize that we are actually the the captains of our universe, not just on a personal level, but on a societal level that we can we can seize the reins of power and stop the imperial madness. <laughs> we can do it. And that would literally, if, if we can achieve that, the amount of suffering that will be ameliorated and people will throw at me like, oh, there's going to be other, of course there's going to be other problems. But at least then we could make the problems about us and not just project our shit onto the rest of the world. You know what I mean? Anyways. It's possible, but it has to, we have to, it has to be a spiritual evolution. You know, that really, it's not going to be possible without that. People have to really like in their souls, in their hearts, they have to be behind this idea because that is what would allow us to actually make it happen because there'd have to be an immense feeling of cooperation and realizing that people are going to have all different types of ideas about how society should be organized but that we can come together and we can make a better society even with that, you know, not by totalitarian dictates, not by everyone reading more Lenin, but just by like the power of the human spirit and our collective consciousness. So that's why I think you really can do your part to overcome the adversary by meditating and communing with whatever powers of beauty and goodness resonate with you and that will create a shine and if enough of us create our own shines all of a sudden we have like a we have a, a star constellation of minds of hearts and souls and we become uh unstoppable in a good way so just had to add that all right love you guys bye
feels chilly to me. Friday night here in South Phoenix. My cat is being extra adorable and she's washing herself right now on the corner of my bed. <laughs> and after she's done that, she after she's done, what she'll do is she'll cross her little paws and then she'll just like get into this meditative position, look like the Sphinx. Cause I was just uh, in meditation myself and she will come and like meditate next to me. It's the cutest fucking shit. Cats are amazing. <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah, Friday night and got home and I just decided to, I mean, granted I was more than micro dosing, like micro, micro to the macro, <laughs> micro to the macro dosing. And then I rode the hape and had a really, really beautiful meditation, but it was a complicated meditation. And so I was inspired to hop on the mic, and I just appreciate having the opportunity to talk with everybody. It's really nice. It helps with my mental health to be able to put feelings into words and then share them with the world. And I love the fact that I have listeners all around the world. Shout out to my international listeners. I love you guys. I've said it once. I've said it a million times. I started this podcast to reach a global audience. I wanted to, I've always wanted to expand far, far past the boundaries of my own environment. And that includes my own, uh, what I would consider to be a bullshit nation state in that boundaries are just concocted by men. And what are men? I mean, I'm a man. I can assure you we're not much. We ain't much to write home about. And it's us get together because we know how to use the weapons best or we know how to manipulate the people with the weapons best or we're just the biggest assholes like in the case of the Europeans we're just the biggest pieces of shit and so then we get to decide that like this is the line and that's what you are so you can tell I'm passionate about that fuckery <laughs> and I wanted to, to reach past the bounds of my stupid ass borders so anyways, shout out to my international listeners. I really appreciate you guys. Spread the word and tell a friend, international listeners. Uh, I saw I have some listeners in Finland, so shout out to my Finnish homies. You know I've got that Finnish ancestry, so let's spread the BMP on that beautiful landmass of Finland. I'd love to hear from any of my Finnish listeners. I wanna, I've never been to Finland myself, but I wonder what those islands are like because there's like a bajillion little islands off the south. My directions are not working. <laughs> the southwest corner, the southwest corner of Finland, there's like a bajillion little islands. And I really wonder what those are like. So I'd love to hear from you guys. And shout out to my United Arab Emirate listeners. What's up? <laughs> I feel you, fellow desert homies. <laughs> Anyways, uh, I didn't just hop on the mic to, to talk about my international listeners. I really wanted to discuss this meditation I just had, which was beautiful and complicated. And so it was complicated because, to be honest, I felt like a lot of what, what really like precipitated the meditation was I was feeling very uneasy and a lot of anxiety and I'm trying to wean myself off of all pharmaceutical products and so I do have an anxiety medication uh, which is a central nervous depressant, so central nervous system depressant and 
I can, like, when I'm having a panic attack, it's, it's always there. Like, it's nice to have that tool in my toolbox, but I've been trying not to lean on it as much. So I'm, like, having this anxiety. I'm like, okay, I could take a hydroxazine or I could meditate. <laughs> At least try to meditate first because I'm not one of these dogmatic like Judeo-Christian, like I'm just gonna suffer, 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 because it's not, suffering's only good if it's teaching you something, if, if you're like gleaning something from it, suffering from for suffering's sake, that's some white man bullshit, and I reject it, <laughs> anyways, um, so yeah, so I, I realized that the root of my anxiety was actually this in very deep, sadness very very deep sadness and so through the meditation I was able to kind of like harness it well I identified it first and it's always manifest as a knot a knot of energy and oftentimes it's in my heart chakra or around my heart chakra between my solar plexus and my heart chakra which makes sense because the heart chakra is the gateway to the higher chakras and I don't really love calling it higher and lower because that makes this judgmental thing. But the more cerebral chakras, you know, like there's the root chakra, which is like sex and loins and survival. And then there's the crown chakra, which is like oh, into the cosmos, you know. So the heart chakra is like the gateway to the more cosmic cerebral chakras. And so that's where all this sadness is located I can't really say was located because it's still there but as with all negative emotions I find that if I really dive deep into the meditation and I I identify the knot and then I start to just undo the knot ever so gently is like strands of light and you can kind of start to soften them and and undo the knot and it unleashes it's like breaking the atom when you do that it unleashes an enormous amount of energy and power and so that manifest for me as like pleasure like tingling pleasure sensation kundalini energy explosion so it's very rewarding in that way like on a sensory level and i do think that's important i, I do not like the philosophies that downplay that with like you know physical sensations are just a distraction it's like well i don't really buy that because why would we even be in these bodies then we are in physical bodies we're literally sensate machines. We just like sense everything. So good sensations, I'll take it. You know what I'm saying? I'll take it. And so the sadness, so then it got me thinking like, well, where, where is the sadness coming from? And, you know, existence itself is <laughs> tragic in many ways. And so, you know, you don't really necessarily need a reason to feel the sadness. But this time it was definitely... Um, impacted the sadness has been impacted by the vibe here in the United States right now and the way in which so many people are being led by the drums of, of war and anger and hatred and it's very upsetting to me and then just you know the fact that there's this one conflict that's getting all this attention right now but then there's all these conflicts all the time that don't get any attention I mean the conflict in eastern Ukraine that killed almost 15,000 people in the Donbass region, many of whom were civilians and women and kids, that got zero attention whatsoever. But that's just as tragic. Anytime civilians, anytime there's like suffering, unnecessary suffering, because some assholes with guns 
are fighting over lines, imaginary lines, that's no good. And so it's like compounds the sadness because I have sadness for the fact it's happening. I've always been extremely empathetic and empathetic at long distances. And people always say like, you know, if we lived before like this globalized media landscape, you wouldn't even know this shit was happening. And I, I do understand that point and it's true. However, I do think you would still feel it. You just wouldn't be able to know where it was coming from. I think the collective consciousness picks up on these vibrations. As Peter Champeau said, it's the membrane of the cell that has a lot of the intelligence. And so we're on the membrane and we're sending signals, electrical signals all the time. So anyways, it makes me, uh, it just creates a lot of sadness in me that people are, are so easily swayed and led and misled and manipulated into, you know, dis despising a whole group of people or lionizing a whole group of people and the lack of accountability like creates anger which is rooted in sadness and it's like how you know when we can invade Iraq and it's like that's supposed to be a good thing that we celebrate the illegal invasion of a sovereign nation quote-unquote but then when another nation especially one of our adversarial nations does not even the same thing but we accuse it of that right we accuse it of, of this unprovocated unprovoked invasion it's like well and you literally have people on the bush in the bush administration are making the rounds on legacy television and talking condemning the illegal invasion it's like but well, wait a minute that's exactly what you guys did and you killed one million iraqis and completely fucked up that country forever it's and you're still bombing it no one so it's like the selective outrage is just really gets to me and sometimes it just feels like you're pushing a mountain up a hill to try to like wake people up and i don't mean to sound like i know everything i certainly don't and like who am i to even say like oh i'm i can wake people up but it's like just to have i want to create the dialogue let's let's expand the dialogue and let's not just be led malcolm x said if you're not careful they'll put your mind in a hat and they'll take you wherever they go and that is what i see happening with the american people they've they've put our minds in a hat and they're taking us wherever they want us to go and that is just so tragic and also quite dangerous because you know, where where would you agree to go exactly? Where would you draw the line? You know, just a few months ago, my fellow citizens were directing all this anger and hatred towards people who didn't want to get, uh, you know, didn't want to get a, uh, a gene therapy injected into them. Those were the people who were the recipient. And it's like, in the theory of mass formation, actually, no, this is actually a theory of Freud. But it's also true of the mass formation. But Freud had this theory that the in-group, the way that people bond is over like hatred of others. <laughs> That's just so sad. I don't, I reject that as like the end-all be-all of human nature. But yeah, he did say that like, that's a really great way to get a group of people to bond is to give them a common enemy to hate. And they, so humans will bond over their hatred of, of the other. And I feel like, like Malcolm X said, they're putting our minds in a hat and then they're taking us from prejudice to prejudice, from hatred to hatred. Okay, hate, hate the unvaccinated, now hate the Russians. Next, hate whoever. 
you know, it's like, it's stupid. And it's also dangerous and it fills me with sadness. So anyways, I just wanted to like reach out because I feel like possibly some of you lovely listeners also maybe feel some of this sadness right now. It's just a heavy time. And it feels like we're just like, it's this endless cascade of crises. And sure, you can just try to ignore it, but from, I don't think you can ever really ignore it. Cause like, again, it's the collective consciousness. It's like a feeling. And so, you know, I just became incredibly distraught <laughs> tonight for no apparent reason, but it's like, it's in the ether sphere, you know? So again, you can make yourself into a, an actual beacon of positivity through the art of meditation and positive thinking and optimism and also love and connection with others and just having like an optimistic view of your fellow human instead of a negative view and that goes a long way and um, you know despite all the sadness the meditation is still beautiful you know despite how complicated it is it is still beautiful and it still provides clarity and energy it awakens me and it is actually really pleasurable it's like physically pleasurable as the kundalini energy travels up and down my spine and so even though it's like life is so complicated and it, it, there's so much tragedy and suffering it's also so beautiful so profound and we can connect with one another they can't take that away from us and don't let them you know so love one another connect be real and just like celebrate your humanity it's the best thing we can do right now and so I celebrate all the humanity, all my listeners. I celebrate your humanity, my international listeners, wherever country, nation, whatever the bullshit lines that you're listening from. I celebrate your humanity. And uh, let's come together as a global community, transcend these shallow topical differences that the ruling class uses to divide us. And we can create, we can craft a better world with less unnecessary suffering and you know we can hold these fucking assholes to account who are creating all this chaos so with that i bid you adieu for tonight conan tanner signing off friday night here in south phoenix i can hear the subwoofers woofing in the distance it's first friday downtown so it's a total madhouse and i'm just gonna ride the energy and maybe go for a bike ride although it's kind of chilly relatively but anyways i'll talk to you soon all right much love
you've made it to the end of the show i appreciate you guys thank you so much for listening and supporting you can help to keep me on the air and help me to afford groceries if you hop over to patreon.com noetics you can sign up at a number of different tiers and you receive perks and bonus content when you sign up you can also make a small one-time donation at buymeacoffee.com noetics For this week's outro, we're going to be reading again from In the Absence of the Sacred by Jerry Mander, and I'm going to be reading the article, or I'm sorry, the chapter, The Great Binding Law of the Iroquois Confederacy. According to Iroquois history, the creation of the Great Law is attributed primarily to the work of two men, Hiawatha Mohawk and Dikenawida Onondaga who spent several decades wandering together across what is now the eastern U.S. and Canada, hundreds of years before Columbus landed, with a plan to unite the Mohawk, Oneida, Cayuga, Onondaga, and Seneca. The Tuscacora joined much later in 1715. The Great Law was transmitted orally from generation to generation, with its tenets recorded only on wampum belts and strings. Many of these wampums have since been lost, and those that remain were the subject of bitter lawsuits during the 1980s between the Iroquois and the State University of New York, which housed them. The university finally returned them to the Indians in 1989. One of the early translations of the Iroquois Constitution was by the turn-of-the-century anthropologist Arthur H. Parker and is contained in Parker on the Iroquois, edited by William Fenton. In addition to Parker's commentaries on Iroquois life, the book contains Parker's English translation of the entire Constitution, 115 pages of text. Parker comments that, The Great Law as a governmental system was an almost ideal one for the stage of culture with which it was designed to cope. By adhering to it, the five nations became the dominant native power east of the Mississippi and during colonial times exercised an immense influence in determining the fate of English civilization on the continent. Iroquois members today credit the Great Law as the main reason for their continued coherence as a viable nation, more successful than other American Indians in resisting domination by white society. 
Certain features of the Great Law, as reported in Parker's book, are instantly recognizable for their similarity with the U.S. Constitution. The establishment of a federation with separate powers for federal and state governments, provisions for the common defense, representative democracy at the federal and local levels, separate legislative branches that debate issues and reconcile disagreements, checks and balances against excessive powers, rights of popular nomination and recall, and universal suffrage, although this last provision took Americans another 150 years to achieve. But the features the colonists declined to introduce are just as interesting as the features that resemble our Constitution. For example, the Iroquois had no executive branch, no rulers or presidents. The colonists couldn't bear to get too far away from their monarch. Many of the powers to appoint and remove chiefs for the Iroquois were held by the women, another dimension of checks and balances that the United States did not include, along with the principle of consensual decision-making at each level of government and in each legislative branch. According to Parker, the Great Council of the Iroquois Confederacy, the Federation's legislature, consisted of 50 Rodillionaire, civil chiefs as opposed to war chiefs, divided into three distinct houses according to tribal membership. Each of the houses debated issues separately, eventually reporting their decisions to the Onondaga, who were not part of the other legislatures, but served as firekeepers. The Onondaga determined if a consensus had been reached among the houses. If not, they would return the question to the houses and demand that they reach the unanimity required for the passage of any policy. The only executive person was a temporary speaker appointed by acclamation who served for one day only. The right to nominate chiefs was hereditary, held only by clan mothers of certain clans from each tribe. After nomination, the candidate was then ratified in stages by the whole clan, the National Council, the Grand Council of the Confederacy, and then finally by all the people. The women also had the power to remove the chiefs from office if they proved not to have in mind the welfare of the people, as the law says. They could also remove a chief who should seek to establish any authority independent of the jurisdiction of the great law. If the women removed a chief, they also nominated the replacement. The procedures for removing chiefs was spelled out in exquisite detail, as were all rules of the great law, including the exact words the women used to deliver a warning to the offending chief, then follow-up warnings and removal. In addition to the chiefs nominated by the women, the law permitted the recognition of pine tree chiefs who spontaneously sprang from the community. That's really cool. I love that. Pine tree chiefs. <laughs> According to the great law, these people, these are people, quote, with special ability who show great interest in the affairs of the nation and who prove themselves wise, honest, and worthy of confidence, unquote. Such chiefs participated in all council deliberations. The duties of the chiefs were spelled out in great detail. They shall be mentors of the people for all time. The thickness of their skin shall be seven spans, which is to say that they shall be proof against anger, offensive actions, and criticism. Their hearts shall be full of peace and goodwill, and their minds filled with a yearning for the welfare of the people of the Confederacy. With endless patience they shall carry out their duty, and their firmness shall be tempered with a tenderness for their people. 
Neither anger nor fury shall find lodgment in their minds, and all their words and actions shall be marked by calm deliberation. They must be honest in all things. Self-interest must be cast into oblivion. They shall look and listen for the welfare of the whole people, and have always in view not only the present but also the coming generations, even those whose faces are not yet beneath the surface of the ground, the unborn of the future nation. God damn, that's really beautiful. Wouldn't it be nice if our executives were, uh, were held to such high standards? Uh, we'd have a different society, friends. But, you know, we fight the good fight over here at the BMP. That's what we do. Elevate the human spirit one episode at a time, one listener at a time. Resist this status quo as best we can. Stay humble. Stay beautiful. Stay real. I love you guys. Be amazing to one another this week. Have love and compassion for yourself. And I will talk to you next week. Much love. Oh, and I got another episode with Dr. Sylvie coming. So, holla. Another another doozy, an artful doozy with Dr. Sylvie coming up soon, y'all. So stay tuned for that. And I love you guys. All right. Peace.